These are the funniest people I know. These are the funniest people I know. Said improv riffing, callers some sketches, characters and interviews, and then some more sketches. Now these are the funniest people you know. Now these are the funniest people you know. Now these are the funniest. These are the funniest. These are the funniest. These are the funniest people I know. Hello, world. Welcome to the funniest people I know. I'm George Kaloris, and here with me today are my very funny co-hosts, Abigail Williams. Hello. And, and no one else. <laughs> and Yeah, no one else. It's just Abigail. Come to find out, Alexandria will not be joining us today. She is on set and is you know, being a fancy, famous actress. She's doing the real work, and we're just sitting here at home as the wannabes. She's always so secretive when she does those Beyonce videos. I know. She just doesn't want anyone to know. But yeah, we'll have to ask her a thousand questions next week. Yeah, we'll get all the info. I'm confident we'll be able to handle this. There is no Sage Mage. Sure. If anybody yeah, is tuning is, in for Sagely Wisdom, get your SOL. <laughs> Each week we kick off the episode with a round of what's making you laugh. We're going to share a story and then pick one to dive into. What's making you laugh this week, Abigail? This week I am laughing at nonsense involving Nirvana's nude baby no way yes i'm laughing at the nevermind child porn lawsuit are you pitching the same article george yeah yeah it's the same story <laughs> i'm blown by this that's awesome it's unreal oh i guess we're talking about this i read an article today called Baby on Nirvana Album Cover Sue's Band Over Child Pornography. Spencer Eldon, the four-month-old baby who is nude on the cover of the Nevermind album, is underwater and his genitalia is out. Now, he's four months old. I never considered it to be a sexualized image. No, by no means. I find the topic sensitive, but this allegation to be absurd. Because there was a dollar bill in the water, the lawyer is alleging that that makes the baby look like, quote, a sex worker. (laughs) 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 What? Apparently, they're alleging that Nirvana never paid Mr. Eldon's parents for the photo, nor did they sign any form that allowed the band to use it, but... It was reported earlier that they were paid 250 bucks for this naked image. So I don't, I don't know. I would hope that Nirvana had tidied up and gotten their model release. And if they didn't, I can understand that argument. But it's been a minute. This is an old album. And the guy's been up for it. I've seen him recreate the photo. He's a fan of it. It seems to me like he needs some cash and was like, I never really got paid for that. Yeah, Mr. Eldon alleges that the band promised to cover his genitalia with a sticker, but that the promise wasn't kept. But I don't know that he would know much about that, considering he was four months old. (laughs) I can't believe that testimony. I'm going to have to talk to his mom. He has claimed that he has suffered and will continue to suffer. This is a quote, lifelong damages because of his linked identity with this album cover. But he tried to recreate it, like you said, when he was 10 for the Rolling Stones. He did it for the New York Post in 2016. He's had fun celebrating it and now seems to have turned around and I guess normalized changing your mind. But I feel like if you had these concerns, you should have voiced them 30 years ago. He's (laughs) also asking a lot of people for a lot of money. 
he's suing everyone who's ever been involved with Nirvana. He wants at least $150,000 from each of the 15 defendants. (laughs) One is Kurt Cobain's widow. You're going to ask Kurt Cobain's widow for $150,000? That sounds like a bad thing, but let me rephrase that sentence. Is Courtney Love. You have any problem asking Courtney Love for $150,000? I personally do not. But it's the principal <laughs> yeah, here. She's a Kurt widow. Cobain's widow makes her sound like she's not Courtney Love. That's true. <laughs> and I completely agree. But again, if he's going to argue that, oh, oh poor man. me, I was a four-month-old baby, then I'm going to argue the widow card. Okay? That's what I'm going to do. This poor petty. widow woman. I'm petty. On a fixed income. Yeah, you poor little four-month-old baby. In the nude, because if there aren't a million pictures out there of little nude naked babies that are not sexualized. If the premise of the lawsuit had been, I'm suing them because they didn't pay me my due and they have made lots of money off of this for lots of years. Fair enough. Totally fair. Go for that. But he's alleging that it is a pornographic image. Correct. And 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 none of us have ever felt that way at any point. And I think that's why this is laughable, because I don't think even he ever thought of that. And if you didn't want people to know it was you, just don't own it. I wouldn't have known yesterday who was on the cover of that Nirvana album. It could have been anybody for all I know. Exactly. Exactly. Mr. Eldon, you are playing a ridiculous tune and none of us are buying it. Like you said, George, (laughs) if you wanted to sue them because you wanted some money in that famous image, go right ahead. Ask for more. This is America. Go for it. Yeah. But calling this child pornography is actually honestly disrespectful to actual people out there who are dealing with child pornography issues like, yeah, and accuses on. every single person who has an album in their house of being a child pornographer right. <laughs> like, no that one had ever accused me of that because spencer eldon is coming for you yeah. <laughs> gotta throw some stuff out now exactly i'm just gonna say for the record i do not have a copy of the nevermind cover art in my house that is a joke i do not need anyone coming to my house <laughs> the information there is Not one Nirvana album, period, in my house, let alone this one with the naked baby. Okay. With that having been said, (laughs) let's move on to the game. (laughs) This week, I wanted to bring back a game we played a while back. This is the vanity plate game. People submit their custom vanity plates to the DMV, and the DMV assesses which ones they're going to allow, which ones they're not. And so from LA Magazine, I have here a list of some of the license plates that have been rejected by the DMV. Okay. I'm going to read the license plate. You try to figure out what it means. Okay. And then I'm going to tell you what the applicant explained. And then guess whether or not the DMV allowed for it. Okay. Okay. H O T N S X E. Hot and sexy. That's what I get from it too. Okay. (laughs) The applicant's explanation is myself being a middle-aged woman. (laughs) I just love that myself and could have just left it there to be honest. Myself period. (laughs) 
The DMV comments are hot and sexy. So the DMV read it the same way you did. Okay. Do you think they accepted it or not? Um, I say not. They did. It's yes. <gasps> they gave it a yes. Okay. They've surprised me with some of the things that they shut down the last time we played this game. So I think of them as the Catholic people who used to rate our movies. <laughs> <laughs> Next one. M-O-B-Y-C-A-T. Moby Cat instead of Moby D. <laughs> You're onto something. The applicant says, I have a white cat named Moby. I want to name my white car after her. The DMV oh. says, Moby Dick, Moby Cat. <laughs> Vagina? What? What? <laughs> okay. Whoa. I see it now. My eyes have been opened and now I can see it. I can understand the DMV's inference here. So did they say no? They said no. <laughs> I don't believe that that person had a white cat. I think, I think a lot that of these was people a lie. are lying. I think that was a lie. Okay. Yeah. D C K X T. S-N. I have no idea. I just know that it doesn't start out well. (laughs) (laughs) The applicant explanation is, I'm the extension of my dad. My father's name is Dick, and I was named after him. I'm so uncomfortable. I'm upset. There's just people out there trolling the DMV. It's just like straight trolling them. (laughs) So the DMV says... It's Dick Extension. The customer's <laughs> name is Brent. <laughs> this man is a liar. Next. Yes or no? I'm assuming that's a strong no. That's a strong no. <laughs> <laughs> Next one. T-U-N-A-F-S-H. Tuna fish. It makes me think of The Office with Andy. <laughs> the applicant explanation I'm a professional fisherman, and I fish for tuna all over the world. I guess they accepted it. The DMV said, I Googled him. He is, and he does. Okay, they took it. They did not. They said no. (gasps) Why? I don't know. There's no reason. How can you say no to tuna fish? I'm infuriated. I am so angry on his behalf. I am, too. we got to sue these guys. (laughs) We're going to take this DMV to court. Why? I don't know. Why? There's too much power for the DMV in America. It's too much. It's too much It's outrageous. We need to limit this. F-S-H-B-A-L-L. Fishball? That's the applicant explanation as well. Fishball. Okay. (laughs) The DMV says, fish? Ball? Something sexual? What? What is the DMV sexual about a (laughs) fishball? Were they trying to say fish bowl? Oh, fish bowl. But they wrote fish ball. The explanation is ball. B-A-L-L. Yes or no? Did they take it? I don't know. They're saying no to this tuna man. They obviously have something against fish. I think they don't like fish. Yeah, they they gave it a no. (gasps) Again? Yeah. I am so angry at the prejudice that these poor fish lovers are experiencing. It's it's hard being a fish lover who wants to say it on their car. You're say like, no to Moby I, Cat, but you're going to say no also to just an innocent little fish? Moby Cat also named after a fish? I see a trend. There's something happening here. I think there's a conspiracy. Uh, <laughs> we're going to have to explore the next 
funny people conspiracy is the California. I'm going to be calling the DMV in California and I'm going to start bringing up fish facts and I'm going to see how they take it. <laughs> we got one more. S eight T A N. Satan. The applicant says Saint Anne is an important historical figure. And someone who I model my life after. This is such bull crap. This is another troll, man. It's Satan and they know it. The DMV is with you. The DMV said it's Satan. It's Satan. And so are you. Good night, sir. So, yes or no? <laughs> no. Wrong. Yes. They approved <gasps> oh, it. Oh, okay. You can have <laughs> Satan rolling around out here, but not an innocent tuna fish. Well, that makes sense. The state of our country. I mean, we are doomed. Yeah. We are doomed. <laughs> There's nothing else to say to that. I think you're right. That says it all. Yeah, how f- is that? That, was a good that is such <laughs> a man. You can say Satan and you can't say fish in any f- capacity. <laughs> <laughs> Poor unfortunate souls in pain, in need. This one longing to be thinner. That one wants to get the girl. And do I help them? Yes, indeed. Those poor unfortunate souls. So sad. They come flocking to my cauldron crying spells, Ursula, please, and I help them. Yes, I do. Every now and then, we like to bring up this bit called the underdogs. And in this bit, we each bring a quote-unquote bad guy to the table that we feel has been misunderstood. In the past, I have framed this as a bad guy who we feel should be a good guy. But Tina Technical George over here really wants us <laughs> to know that it's only misunderstood. That's the parameter. Yes. It laxes the rules a bit, but I do like that. So we're going with it. Here we go with the underdogs. George, what misunderstood poor unfortunate soul have you brought? I'm here to defend a classic villain, so to speak, who I think we have all misunderstood. I'm already building a case against you. And I don't <laughs> I'm speaking, of course, Maleficent. <gasps> I can't believe you would defend her because I was looking at a list of Disney villains and saw her name and thought, well, she's undefensible. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me make my case then. Maleficent totally overreacted. Let's just put that there. But with that having been said, she was just responding to being insulted and publicly humiliated oh my gosh. by King Stefan and Queen Leah, who snubbed her and did not invite her to Aurora's christening. This is not having a chair at a wedding reception <laughs> all over it again. It is humiliating, and she was a woman of stature in her community, and they did not invite her. Allow me to read from the script. This is from Sleeping Beauty. In a faraway land, long ago, lived the king and his fair queen, Many years had they longed for a child, and finally their wish was granted. A daughter was born. They named her after the dawn, for she filled their lives with sunshine. Then a great holiday was proclaimed throughout the kingdom, so that all of high or low estate might pay homage to the infant princess. And our story begins on that most fateful day. During the ceremony, Maleficent busts in, and she says, I really felt quite distressed not receiving an invitation. And then Meriwether goes, you weren't wanted, right? <laughs> Which is a thing to say, Meriwether. In front of everyone, Meriwether. Everyone. That was, that was quite rude. 
Oh my gosh. So, I am so with you. You are turning my heart around. <laughs> so then Maleficent goes, Oh dear, what an awkward situation. I had hoped it was merely due to some oversight. She's given them an out. This is the yeah. perfect opportunity for them to be like, Oh, I'm so sorry, Maleficent. We invited you. How did you not get her? That's how the story was told to me by my mom when I was a kid. In mm. the end of the story, after everything's over, Maleficent finds the invitation under her welcome mat. Bomb to us. But they don't tell her that. They don't go go home and check your welcome mat and have Meriwether put it there. Obviously, Meriwether did not put it there because she said she wasn't wanted in front of everyone. That is humiliating and not a good guy thing to do. So then she goes, well, in that event, I'd best be on my way. And she's leaving. And then the queen's rubbing it in. She goes, oh, and you're not offended, your excellency? If you thought she was excellent, you'd have invited her. And why are you egging her on? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And was so that's, she feigning innocence? I can't recall. I think so. I think that there's a conspiracy here. I think Maleficent had something to do with helping the queen fix her fertility issues and felt double insulted and that the queen's hiding that fact. Dang, George. (laughs) Just throwing some conjecture out there. This is to be explored. (laughs) So then Maleficent says, why no, your majesty, and to show I bear no will, I too shall bestow a gift on the child. And she approaches the cradle and then she puts the spell. Yeah, which was horrible. What did this kid do to her? Literally nothing. Insult Meriwether. Curse her. Curse the queen. Maleficent could have killed Aurora right then and there, but she didn't. She gave Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether 16 years to figure it out. She gave them away. She gave herself a cool-off period. She wanted to get (laughs) over it. That's for sure good. I think that she's considered the worst villain ever because she's part dragon, and dragons just process disappointment differently. And that it's speciesist to think otherwise. Okay, speciesist, that's taking it a bit far (laughs) for me. But I will say, I've changed my mind about Maleficent. Yes! Now, I'll say this. I do think that she's not a good person or has done cruel things in her past. Very much Which is why I think Meriwether didn't want her there. And I think it's okay to have a boundary and say, I don't want somebody who goes around killing and cursing people to come to my baby dedication. But Meriwether's just a guest. That's fine. Meriwether is close. And obviously the king and queen felt the same as Meriwether. And I think it's okay to say, you're horrible. I don't want you around my baby. But do they need to be rubbing it all in? No. I do think that the queen was sincere. I think she was scared. I think when she was like, oh, you don't. You're not going to curse us? That's what she was really asking. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it has nothing to do with her fertility. I don't think (laughs) she was being passive aggressive there and trying to rub it in. But I do think that it was rude. They should have just let her leave. And then we wouldn't have even had to have. Wouldn't have been no movie. Yeah, would have been no movies. I'm with you, George. She's misunderstood, no doubt. Still horrible, misunderstood. Who do you have? The villain that I'm bringing forward today is even tough for me to call a villain. He is the chef from Ratatouille. Now, (laughs) this guy is considered the bad guy, but in my opinion, does pretty much nothing wrong. He basically had an entire four-star restaurant left to him. He's had to work hard in the restaurant business to make a name for himself, to become a head chef. That's a tough thing. It's a competitive industry. And he made it to where when Gusto died, he said, unless I have an heir I don't know about, You get the place. 
Gusto died not knowing if he had an heir. So I can understand. What's Gusto been doing in his spare time? Oh, I might have a few dozen children. (laughs) That's exactly (laughs) what is interesting about this whole storyline. All of a sudden, some kid comes along who has zero experience in the restaurant business after this man has spent years honing in his craft. He's hired women in his restaurant. He has a good working thing. I mean, he may not be the best chef in the whole world. Okay, frozen meals. But does that make him a bad guy? I don't think so. Then this alleged heir brings a rat. Yeah, right. Four star restaurant. It's a rat. And this guy knows it. He knows there's a rat. And he spends half of this movie trying to prove that someone is bringing a disgusting rat into his restaurant and i think that's okay that he cares about that as a restaurant owner i agree with him wholeheartedly right those speciesist it may be (laughs) do not belong in kitchens (laughs) then when he finds remy and all of his cousins and brothers and sisters and he notices that he has a literal rat infestation in his restaurant horrifying and he tries to call an inspector What is so wrong with that? I'm sorry. He lost his restaurant. He lost his inheritance. He lost everything all because some punk kid who had the luck of finding a very talented rat came in at literally the last minute right before it was too late and he got everything taken from him. Maybe he should have told the truth. Okay, I know that he's the heir, but honestly, I don't blame this guy. I don't blame him one bit. I agree. 100, Abigail. I am (laughs) on his side. Thank you for agreeing. How could you not? As a chef, as an owner of a restaurant. Yeah, absolutely. There's no question there. Okay, good. All right, I got one more for you, Abigail. And hear me out here. All right. Judas Iscariot. No. Maybe. I'm conflicted here. I just wanted to say no right off the bat. (laughs) All I'm saying is if it weren't for Judas, wouldn't have been no Christianity. I often have felt sorry for him. Yeah. Somebody had to be the guy. Somebody He's had to an be the integral betrayer. part of the plot. I've always felt sad for him because I've always felt that Jesus would have completely forgiven Judas if he'd said, hey, I would like your forgiveness. And I believe that that forgiveness was offered to him. I feel sorry when people are just hating on him because I'm like, you said somebody had to be the guy. Huh. And, and Jesus he was, knew. And he loved him anyway. And he He's like, yo, him. dude, who's dipping the bread right now? You're going to betray me. That's and, right. And he still invited I, him to eat. I'm sure he was forgiven. I think that they handled their affairs many moons ago. And we shouldn't hold it against him. I thought you were going to be against me on that one. No, I completely agree. I also used to feel very sorry for Pharaoh. But that's a whole other thing. And <laughs> so right. we won't get into it. We are in agreement tonight, yeah. which is really rare. Yeah, rare. I'm rare. proud of us. <laughs> but who needs sagely wisdom? <laughs> Alex, we dearly miss you. <laughs> and I wish we had had her controversial person. We'll oh, I'm see. sure it would have been outrageous. Yeah, it would have been. Abigail, I have been watching a very old TV show lately, The Nanny. Did you ever watch The Nanny? I saw a couple of bits of episodes. I never saw the full seasons or anything. The Nanny is like paint-by-number sitcom. It's like setup, setup, delivery, setup, setup, delivery. It's very safe and very predictable, but it does its job. It was a decent, fun sitcom, and it's fun to rewatch. 
I remember enjoying the moments and also thinking, I'm probably not allowed to watch this. <laughs> <laughs> the Nanny is in the vein of Gilligan's Island and the Brady Bunch that it has a storytelling opening theme song. And I've heard this song a lot lately and I've been thinking about it and I wanted to just dive into it and do a dissect the song TV theme song edition. Jane, let's play a little bit of the Nanny theme song. She was working in a bridal shop in Flushing, Queens, till her boyfriend kicked her out in one of those crushing scenes. What was she to do? Where was she to go? She was out on her family. So over the bridge from Flushing to the Sheffield's door, she was there to sell makeup, but the father saw more. She had style, she had class, she was there. That's how she became the nanny. Fran has three jobs in one TV theme song. She right. has a job at a bridal shop. She's selling makeup and becomes a nanny in two paragraphs. She and, is and under kind of concerning circumstances. Yeah. Like all of a sudden, the dad just saw her and saw something different. And you're kind of like, is this creepy? Is this okay? <laughs> She's working in the bridal shop in Flushing, Queens, and her boyfriend kicks her out in one of those crushing scenes. And it's referred to as if that's a trope of right. the boyfriend dumping the bridal shop employee. Does he own it? Why did she lose her job? He's cheating on her with someone else and just dumps her and gives the other woman the job. (gasps) No, it's terrible. It's crushing. He does work there. Wow. She's out on her fanny. (laughs) She starts selling makeup and she goes to the Sheffield and Maxwell Sheffield is a Broadway producer and he's very rich and he has three precocious children and she had style. She had flair. And that's how she became the nanny. I saw the first episode. That's not what happened. She kind of like conned her way into it. She's like, this looks like it could be a good gig. This they, looks like a really bougie neighborhood. Yeah, I'd like to work I here. could do this. <laughs> she didn't have a resume. She wrote it with lipstick real quick. Oh, like, my gosh. So this song tells a story that's similar to her story, but is certainly misleading everyone who watches episodes two through end. You have to wonder, when did they write this theme song? Did they write it before they wrote all of the episodes? Or was it, this is the only stuff we could get to rhyme? I wrote this song, and I think it should be a show. What came first, and why was it different than the actual, just because they needed it to be wrapped up and pretty? I would assume they shot the first episode, then they made the theme song, inspired by the first episode. This is one of those unanswerable questions. Unless we get Fran Drescher on the show. Maybe we will. And she would be annoyed if the question we had for her of like everything in her career is like, hey, so can you talk us through the process of how you come up with a theme song for the nanny? Yeah, talk us through the theme song that you probably had literally nothing to do with. Uh, Give us any background (laughs) information you have. Thank you. That's all the time we have. We'll uh, we'll see you next time. We're checking in again with Abigail, who has been facing the pop culture blind spot challenge. Alexandria and I gave her a list of pop culture events that we thought that she should have experienced to check out for the first time. What did you visit this week, Abigail? I painstakingly persevered through the Tom Cruise and Oprah interview. Oh, my God. Yes. When I tell you it was painful, I really mean that. I tried to turn it off five times before it was (laughs) over. It was mortifying. First of all, there's way too much cheering for this man when he comes on Oprah's stage. It goes on for minutes 
It was awful. All these girls will not stop. Oprah's literally like, hey, guys, stop. He's like, oh, get out of here. Oh, oh my God. He's so affected. You guys love me. Like, no, it's so annoying. And then what is he aggressively whispering into Oprah's ear when he hugs her? <laughs> he's like breathing all in her neck. And he's like, fire so beautiful. Fire so beautiful. It's like she got it. Let her go. Stop touching her. Move on. So then he's on the couch. He's off the couch. These girls will not stop screaming. I'm getting upset just retelling the story. It's so ridiculous. Way too much touching. Oprah's rubbing his hair. Tom's touching her knee. I just don't like it. Everybody keeps saying they're overwhelmed. Tom, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by all this female love. He later notices that there's one male in the audience, and he calls it. I was like, oh, wow, there's actually a guy in here. (laughs) He heard the vacuum of applause from that one seat. Every time someone says he's good looking, he has this fake laugh, fake humility. He covers his eyes with his hands, and we have to endure (laughs) all of this awful footage of him carrying Katie around and kissing her and aggressively whispering into her ear. There's just so much touching. Tom's standing up. Girls are screaming. He's on the floor again. He's knocking on the floor. I'm actually knocking on the floor is crazy. How can he be so horrible at acting? I mean, this guy is obviously a liar, and he's known for being a good actor. When you saw this, George, did you really think this was real? No, I thought Tom Cruise lost his mind. I think he's just a faker. He's milking this. I don't think Tom Cruise is crazy. He's very, very much so aware of himself. And he might be super out of touch because he's so rich, but he is very aware of himself. And I think this was a very effective performance. And it was remarkable. I haven't seen anything quite like that. He's just so awful. They're literally screaming that they want to know details. And he's like, do you guys really want to know this? That's a direct quote. I can't say enough. And then the punching the floor is nuts. Every time Katie comes up and he talks about how in love he is. Punch, 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 punch. Ladies, please get out of here. He's not embarrassed. Why is he pretending to be shy? A shy person doesn't jump on the floor and knock on it 80 bajillion <laughs> times. It's not what a shy person does. It's his worst performance. No disrespect to Katie Holmes because I'm sure she is a complete delight. And actually, I think she's one of the smartest women out there. He keeps going on about how amazing she is as a person and her work, but he never says anything. He just says three things the entire time he says she's wonderful he doesn't want to play any games and he's the kind of man who treats a woman well those are the three things that he just keeps repeating in not even that many differentiated terms for 40 minutes it's so long he says of himself i help a lot of people a lot of people call me for life and career advice he's known for that that's what he says about himself this is what he says he likes to treat a woman the way she deserves to be treated And then he jumps on a woman's couch in front of all of America, (laughs) calling himself out as a liar. No woman wants a man jumping on her couch with his shoes on. (laughs) Oh, you respect women? Let me just jump all over their couch. So she probably had to clean and fluff herself. No man was fluffing that that. couch. No, I'm sure Oprah (laughs) didn't do that. But I bet it was a woman. Then he does it again. It's like a two-year-old trying to impress people with the same joke. It's like a two-year-old gets a parent to laugh, and then they keep saying the same you're, joke oh again. Oh, my God, you're and so again. right. It's not funny anymore, man. I've never seen any other celebrity who has having an interview to tell all about their relationship, but those happen all the time, perform love in such a fashion 
What were you trying to prove? What are you trying to prove? You guys have been dating for two months. I'm almost ashamed of my gender as I watch this because of how much these women are just screaming when he says he's thinking about proposing to Katie and he's pretending to be shy as if he doesn't know that she's watching this. And then Oprah's like, what's so wonderful about her? He's like, oh, it's her Elan Vital, her life force. Like you lost <laughs> me when you said Elan Vital. Just stop. You uncultured swine. You don't know what that means. Just stop. One sad thing I'll say about Oprah in this, and I love Oprah, but she said, you can always tell how a man is by the type of woman who's with him. But what about Nicole Kidman? She ditched this guy. So what are you trying to say about Nicole? I don't know. I just don't know. He name drops. He's like, when I called Steven, and then he says, oh, I'm not trying to talk about him. I'm just talking about friends. Liar. You are a liar. I'm done. I endured 40 minutes where he literally said nothing except that he's infatuated. He's the type of man who treats a woman well, and she is great. 40 minutes of my life for literally nothing. How much money did they have to pay Dakota Fanning to say those nice things about Tom Cruise? She's a phenomenal actress. Tom, <laughs> no. Tom says after Dakota's nice words about him, I just want to protect her. And that is Tom, the protector of women, depriving Nicole Kidman of her children, scaring Katie home so much that she leaves in the middle of the night. That's our hero. We love you, Tom. There we go. You were definitely through the worst of your list. This was a <laughs> cultural phenomenon. I felt like you needed to experience, especially since you have such a specific and passionate point of view on Tom Cruise. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad it's over. I guess I'm glad I can say I now know what people are talking about, and that's the best I can give you. <laughs> well, you've got some good stuff ahead. you got Coyote Ugly, Sex in the City, and The Babysitter's Club, so I look forward to hearing you visit those, which I think you're going to like all three of them. This has been another episode of Funniest People I Know. We record for the Georgia Radio Reading Service. Thank you to producer Jane Boynton, who edits the show. Thank you, Jane. If you enjoy the show, please like, review, subscribe it, and share it with a friend. We're available on every service, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, and Pandora. You can email us at funniestpeopleiknow at gmail.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at funniestpeopleiknow. Have a hilarious week. See you next time. 